0: Welcome to Horty Springer's Health Law Expressions podcast on a segment we like to call the Kickback Chronicles. I'm Henry
1: Cassell. And I'm Hala Mazoffer. We invite you to kick back and relax as we dive into this week's case.
0: The title of today's podcast is Catch Me If You Can, Healthcare Edition.
1: Henry, have you ever seen the movie Catch Me If You Can where Leonardo DiCaprio impersonates a Pan Am pilot, a physician, and an attorney?
0: Yeah, I did. Great flick. It was a while ago, but I recall seeing it. But doing what we do, I was kind of distracted the whole time I was watching the movie by wondering, why didn't these people do any credentialing before hiring this guy? With all of today's emphasis in healthcare on credentialing, compliance, and reporting, this could never happen in today's healthcare world. Can it, Hala? Oh, man, please say it ain't so.
1: I am so sorry to disappoint you, but I remember seeing this movie and thinking, no wonder Leonardo DiCaprio didn't win an Oscar for this movie. This plot is ridiculous. The idea that you could impersonate not one, not two, but three professions that not only require a lot of education, but are acutely regulated by law, is just so far-fetched that it's unbelievable. The person would get caught immediately. There's no way this happens. Then I started working here.
0: Yeah, sorry to disillusion you, Hela, but uh, you don't need to be worried that every hospital has at least one person pretending to be a healthcare professional. Modern credentialing processes should have all been eliminated this from occurring in a hospital. That said, this used to happen from time to time. You might remember a few years ago in 2016 when an 18-year-old by the name of Malachi Love Robinson was pretending to be a medical provider by the name of Dr. Love. He even went so far as to open his own business called the New Birth, New Life Medical Center in West Palm Beach, where else, Florida, office building. He made house calls and everything which the fact that he made house calls alone should have given him away. He ended up on the police radar after a patient in her 80s reported him for stealing checks and making them out to himself for a little over 30000 bucks. after several of his house calls. He ultimately got arrested after he examined and prescribed treatment to an undercover police officer who was impersonating a patient. And the craziest thing about it was that while they were doing their investigation, they found that Dr. Love had been accused of posing as a physician the year before, not exercising privileges, but wandering the halls of a nearby hospital. Unfortunately, they did not charge him for this earlier incident. But when he crossed the line, not only by fooling patients by pretending to be a physician, but also by stealing a sweet old lady's checks, he was charged with practicing medicine without a license, fraud, and theft, for which Dr. Love was sentenced to 28 months in prison. Now, Hala, I understand that this is not the end of the story, and you have an interesting epilogue to the Dr. Love story.
1: Ah, yes, Henry. In 2021, the reform, Dr. Love, was arrested again on charges of fraud and grand theft for asking clients to send money to his personal bank account rather than to the shipping company that he worked for. So after pleading guilty to stealing more than $10,000 from his employer, he was sentenced to a little over two years in prison in January of this year, a man that truly did not learn a lesson from his first sentence. All of which brings us to today's case. Now, this case has a bit of a backstory that begins in Mississippi in 2014. This case focuses on Ms. Teresa Lane Fisher, later known as Teresa Pickering. This name change will, will be important later on. Now, Ms. Lane Fisher obtained a license to practice as a physician's assistant in the state of Mississippi in 2001. So, unlike the so called Dr. Love that Henry told us about, or F- Frank Abagnale and catch me if you can, Miss Lane Fisher was actually trained and licensed as a physician's assistant. So far, everything was fine, above board, and good to go. But we wouldn't be talking about Miss Lane Fisher if everything stayed that way. So sometime around 2013, 2014, uh, the Mississippi State Board of Medical Licensure found evidence that Miss Lane Fisher had falsely claimed to have a supervising physician and falsely represented herself to be to be a physician. What Miss Lane Fisher was actually doing was that she was acting as a medical director for a hospice care company and certifying patients for hospice as a physician, despite the fact that she was only licensed as a PA. To make matters worse for Miss Lane Fisher, the care for a lot, at least some of these patients, was paid for in whole or in part by the state Medicaid program. Once these events came to light in January 2014, the Mississippi State Board suspended Miss Lane Fisher's PA license until a hearing could be conducted later that month.
0: Now, when your license is suspended, it should go without saying that you should immediately cease and desist from practicing under that license for the obvious fact that the license is not currently in effect. Simply put, until the suspension was lifted, Miss Lane Fisher did not have a license. But it may not surprise you to learn that this did not stop Miss Lane Fisher. Miss Lane Fisher and a guy named Sean Pickering were, as evidenced by a later indictment, aiding and abetting each other in distributing controlled substances outside the scope of professional practice and not for legitimate medical purposes for the entire month of January. Not only what she was doing was distributing controlled substances without a legitimate medical purpose, she was doing it on a suspended license.
1: Yes, Henry, and the Mississippi State Board actually ended up postponing Miss Lane Fisher's license suspension until March while an investigation into her actions took place. But before the Mississippi State Board could hold its evidentiary hearing in early March 2014, Miss Lane Fisher voluntarily surrendered her physician's assistant license. Now, surrendering her license may have gotten the State Board of Medicine off her back, but unfortunately for Miss Lane Fisher, voluntarily surrendering your license does not absolve you of any crimes you may have committed while that license was in effect. So roughly a year later, in June 2015, Miss Lane Fisher was convicted of felonious Medicaid fraud in Mississippi for among other things, causing false claims to be filed with the Mississippi Medicaid program for submitting claims without having a supervising physician and for during a time when her license to practice as a PA was suspended by the state of Mississippi. And the hands of justice were swift and harsh. Miss Lane Fisher was sentenced to 11 years in the custody of the Mississippi Department of Corrections with five to serve, six suspended, and five years probation. She was ordered to pay in the amount of eight hundred and three thousand seven hundred and forty-four dollars and ninety-three cents, and a pe- and a penalty of two point four million dollars. So all in all, a little more than three million in restitution and penalties. And then, as a little cherry on top of that, Sunday, she was also ordered to pay a thousand-dollar fine and five hundred dollars to the victims' compensation fund.
0: And that was just state court. A few months after Miss Lane Fisher's conviction in state court in December of 2015, Miss Lane Fisher was convicted in the Southern District of Mississippi federal court of distributing and dispensing a Schedule II controlled substance outside the scope of professional practice and for not a legitimate medical purpose. This conviction was based on prescription Miss Lane Fisher wrote for controlled substances after she was aware that her DEA registration was surrendered and her license to practice as a PA was suspended. A few days after her federal conviction, Ms. Lane Fisher was notified that she was excluded from all federal health care programs for 20 years. Under the terms of that exclusion, she was prohibited from being employed to provide items or services which are billed for in whole or in part under a federal health care program. She's also listed and in the OIG's excluded providers list. In our previous episodes of the Kickback Chronicles, we've discussed some pretty significant penalties. However, we do not recall anyone being punished more harshly or being ordered to pay more than we have seen in this case. Now, most people would assume that the punishment that Miss Lane Fisher received should have sent a serious message to her that lasted a lifetime.
1: You might think that, but you would be wrong. In our own version of Catch Me If You Can, this certainly wasn't the end of Miss Lane Fisher's story. So somehow, a mere three years later, around the end of 2018, Teresa Lane Fisher reemerges in Georgia. Coincidentally, the same state Frank Abagnale pretends to be a doctor in in Catch Me If You Can, this time using the name Teresa Pickering. Now, we are not sure of the origin of this name change or the reason uh, for this particular alias, but it very well may have been due to her co-defendant in the Distributing and Dispensing Controlled Substances incident in 2014, Sean Pickering, but for the remainder of the story, we will use her nom de fraud, Ms. Pickering. In any event, the newly minted Ms. Pickering applied for a job as a certified PA at a small family medicine practice in northern Georgia even though Ms. Pickering did not possess a license to practice as a PA in Georgia at that time. She had not been a licensed PA in any state since March 2014, and she had just been released from prison so she could not work in healthcare for at least three years. She was hired by this medical practice. For those of you who may be wondering why this practice didn't just Google this woman, well, past crimes don't account for future fake names. Unless you're looking up a celebrity, the Internet probably is not going to connect the dots that Teresa Lane Fisher is also Teresa Pickering and show you her past. We should also mention that she was still well within her 20-year exclusion from federal health care programs, but that exclusion was under the name Teresa Lane Fisher, not Teresa Pickering. So if they checked the OIG's exclusion list, and we're not sure if they did or didn't, they would not have found that Teresa Pickering was excluded. It's hard to find past indiscretions if you don't know a person's full history but we want to point out that it's not difficult to check and see that teresa pickering did not possess a georgia pa license a better question to ask is how did she get hired with as a pa without a georgia license that practice is in some serious need of credentialing assistance regardless of the name she was using even a minimal amount of credentialing would have prevented the next part of our story from hap- occurring but i digress All that we know is that around September 2019, Ms. Pickering did indeed get a job with the medical practice as a PA and started to provide PA services at this practice. While employed, she performed the types of services that you would expect a a licensed PA to perform. She treated patients, many of whose care was paid for in in whole or in part by federal health care programs like Medicare or Medicaid. She diagnosed illnesses, ordered tests and lab work, handled sick visits, prescribed drugs, and so on, all of which was clearly not legal because, one, she was not who she said she was, two, she didn't have a license, and three, she was excluded from all federal health care programs.
0: And despite the fact that Miss Pickering had already gotten into significant trouble for writing prescriptions when she didn't have the legal authority to do so, old habits apparently die hard, and you guessed it, Ms. Pickering again wrote prescriptions, including prescriptions for controlled substances. But how were the prescriptions filled? There is an extra level of security, especially when writing a prescription for a controlled drug. But Ms. Pickering got around these requirements by prescribing the drugs in the name of a locum tenens physician that was a contractor at the practice. The physician was usually not in the office when Ms. Pickering treated patients, so she would issue prescriptions in the physician's name without his knowledge or authorization.
1: And when the feds finally caught up with Miss Pickering again, the claims had really added up. By the time all was said and done, Miss Pickering had caused the practice to submit a approximately 4,200 fraudulent claims for reimbursement, seeking approximately $147,000 from various private insurers and Medicare. And in June 2022, Ms. Pickering was indicted by a federal grand jury. She was arraigned on federal charges, which totaled 16 counts of health care fraud, three counts of aggravated identity theft, and three counts of distribution of controlled substances. Miss Pickering ended up pleading guilty to count three of her indictment, which was just one count of health care fraud, in connection with an offense in August 2020. but last month, Ms. Pickering was sentenced again to two years, nine months in prison, to be followed by three years of supervised release, and she was ordered to pay restitution in the amount of $48,742.30 on top of how much she was uh, has to pay restitution for her first crimes.
0: As the special agent in charge of the FBI's Atlanta office said, Pickering had a chance to turn her life around after serving time for previous fraud, but instead chose to commit further crimes, proving that she was not learned from her prior convictions. What we can't well one thing I have to tell you that we look for but we can't find is what, if anything, happened to the primary care practice that hired a non-licensed PA? The feds may have made a deal for their assistance in bringing Ms. Pickering to justice, however I can tell you that they would not be so generous if the entity that hired Ms. Pickering was a hospital. The OIG has been very aggressive in seeking repayments from hospitals where any care was provided by a non-licensed individual, let alone an excluded provider so hospitals need to be vigilant in their credentialing process that credentialing process should always include checking the excluded provider list When checking the excluded provider list, hospitals are well advised to look at every possible name a person may have used. We've actually been involved in incidents where a hospital actually checked the excluded provider list under the the person's current name but were penalized by the OIG because they missed the fact that the person was excluded under another name that changed due to the person getting married or divorced. That said, even the OIG might cut you a break if you checked the excluded provider list but did not find someone like Ms. Pickering because of her nom de fraud. However, that's little solace since the OIG will typically show very little sympathy if a hospital hires a PA or any other provider who did not possess a current license and that person was ever involved in the care of a patient whose care was paid for in whole or in part by a federal health care program such as Medicare and Medicaid. If you want to learn more about how the OIG or DOJ operate, recent developments involving the False Claims Act, any kickback statute, the Stark law, and much more, consider joining Dan and myself, in Phoenix on from November 16 to 18, 2023, for our next seminar. In the interim, be sure to check out the Horty Springer website to find out how to receive our free weekly newsletter, The Health Law Express, as well as for information about new and upcoming opportunities on this and many other healthcare related topics.
1: Thanks for listening and tune in to the next edition of the Kickback Chronicles so you can keep learning from the misfortune of others. Thank you, Hala. Thanks, Henry.